On the Drop-In CEO podcast, I pride myself in bringing on amazing leaders with their insights and inspiration to give you some actionable tips that you can bring into your job, your business, or even in your leadership. But today, we're not going to do that. Today is a time to listen to this amazing conversation from John Berghoff. We talk about collective wisdom. And at a time when I'm going to date myself. We are in a pandemic, still highly isolated. Technology and information is increasing at an exponential rate. Sometimes we feel a little disconnected. Sometimes all it is that we're doing is just a transaction and trying to get through the day. But think about it. If we could bring people together, still virtually, but when we can in person and bringing together our innovation, creativity, our thoughts and ideas, we gain back our ability to potentially control the future. Our collective wisdom is what's going to really propel us forward versus working isolated and as individuals. So this is the conversation I had with John. Let's listen. And I know you are going to come away so inspired from this conversation. What the research tells us, and one of our faculty at Exchange, Dr. Danny Friedland, is that if the world is changing as fast as it is, and arguably faster than we feel equipped to deal with that change, there's consequences. And we need a different set of tools because of the consequences. The biggest consequence is, what is it doing inside of us individually? We become reactive. We don't feel like we have the resources to meet the demands we're facing. And that leads to a whole set of additional consequences. We lose our ability to connect with and work with each other. But on a bigger scale, we are dysfunctional in our groups and organizations. Or worse than that, we're living in a place of shared victimhood where we just don't actually think we can find the resources to make our way out. So the center of our work is understanding that that's what's going on and realizing that for those of us who lead, teach, and convene, We have to have a curiosity that comes from maybe a place of humility to realize that there's some new beliefs to take on, new paradigms and tools so that we can actually learn faster and bring more out of groups. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I am so excited that you've joined me again today for another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I get to speak to amazing leaders every day, and they bring their insights to both myself and you and hopefully inspire you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you great programming. And I would like to also make you this offer, The CEO's Compass my approach to helping you get back on track through rapid change and elevate your leadership teams. That is the drop-in CEO promise. And if you'd like to hear more about my consulting services, please reach out to me at dropinceo.com. And I would like to introduce to you my fantastic guest, John Berghoff. 
Today's guest, John, is the co-founder and CEO of Exchange, a scientific approach to unlocking collective wisdom. With over 350 global thought leaders, community builders, and industry-leading coaches and consultants who have leveraged the exchange approach, they facilitate and transform group experiences with their clients. And when companies like BMW, Facebook, NASA, and Keller Williams have wanted to bring large groups of together to solve problems, accelerate learning, or create a new future, they've all relied upon John and the exchange approach. Welcome, John, to the show. It is my pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Deb. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, when we first met, there was just something, first of all, about your energy, your active listening, your thoughtfulness, your creativity, and that passion for learning and helping people to think differently and just open up to the truest potential. That is a sweet spot for me. I mean, I'll go into organizations and help them with their business issues, quality, operational excellence, but the true calling of the work that you do and that I do is how we elevate individual and organizational performance. So I would love for you to share with my audience a little bit about your journey and the work that you're doing now. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Deb. Well, you said it a moment ago, and you and I do have a shared passion to help teams and groups and people to navigate change, shape their future, solve problems. And our work today is, I think we're now up to four or 500 change agents, coaches, consultants, thought leaders who we've introduced our work to. And as you said, our interest is in how do we enable groups to learn faster, to solve problems, to capture new opportunities, change their future. And you asked, how did I get to this work? Before we started Exchange a number of years ago, I was so fortunate that I worked for an organization that was led by two extraordinary women. The organization was the Vitamix Corporation. And Jody Berg and Lori Connors, Jody is the CEO and Lori is the CFO. And there was about a five-year window, Deb, where I learned from them. And they, by the way, are the great-granddaughters of their great-grandfather who started that company in 1921. This is the 100-year anniversary, which fourth-generation family-owned company. It's a cool story all by itself. And I had such a privilege to learn from them, Deb, about understanding that the world is asking for maybe a new way of leading. And prior to that, I was a solo coach and trainer, and my whole professional journey started 21 years ago. I had a successful entrepreneurial venture early on, and I want to say one thing about that, and that is I was very early on, Deb, very fortunate that I had some mentors. And I I say I was fortunate because at that time in my life, I was actually really struggling. Entrepreneurship for me was kind of a way out the path that I actually don't like to think about where I would have ended up. I struggled in school and I was just fortunate that I had great, great mentors from a very early age. So if I close the loop to our mission today at Exchange, I think about this all the time, Deb, that a lot of what I believe I'm doing is trying to redeem or heal some part of my soul through helping leaders and teachers to create the kind of conditions that others created for me so that I could thrive coming from a place early on where I wasn't thriving. So that's the the long story made longer of how we got to where we're at. Every story is so meaningful because when you can take the time and reflect, and before we jumped on, you talked about that you were even 
journaling just to reflect on the day, the past day, and what are you going to do forward? That's one thing that I talk to people that I mentor, and we're going to talk about mentorship, that is so important. We just need to take the time to pause and reflect, whether it's the beginning of the day, middle of the day, before we go to sleep at night, to really understand what went well, what can we do differently, and just really appreciate what we are doing, not be so hard. And I don't know, (laughs) this thing about what was missing in earlier in your life, and now you're able to do the work that helps others. What was it that was missing in your life? What was troubling? What did you struggle with? And then how did you come out in a way that says, this is the work that I'm meant to do? What a wonderful question. I think the thing that was missing is I had not yet found an environment where my strengths were given space to come alive. For whatever reason, the way traditional education works and the way I learn, we didn't quite match up. (laughs) But yet, when I got into entrepreneurship at a young age, unknowingly, it gave me a space to discover my strengths. I remember one of the first episodes of yours that I listened to, you talked about as a young woman, you being quieted or encouraged to act one way. And, And the interesting thing is it was your strengths that were possibly being suppressed. So for me, it was an invitation by wonderful leaders and mentors and teachers who are still mentors and now friends still 21 years later to inquire into what is a bigger purpose that I might be living into and to realize that's a question to hold open. The answer today could change tomorrow if I wanted to and and to continually hold open the question of where do I get energy in my life? What gives me energy and how do I lean more into that? And when am I at my best and what can I learn about that and create more spaces to lean into my strengths. So I think that's what was missing. And early on, what really helped. You know, I'm smiling here. And again, I've often thought about moving my podcast to also a video platform. But one of the things that you remind me of is the thing that I lost. And thank you for listening to one of those podcasts, the story of having a voice, wanting to speak, wanting to express, and then society saying, you need to be quiet. You're a little bit disruptive. I was labeled, again, I was a very smart child, but labeled. And then when society squelches those talents and strengths, sometimes we never rediscover them. But it's a beautiful thing, either taking a risk on yourself, trying something new, or even entrepreneurship. We rediscover those gifts we start thinking, we start living again, and we start serving others. So go figure, I'm podcasting now, can't keep me quiet. So, And I love these conversations. So, so appreciate that. But I want to just dig deeper into your work. We talk about exchange. And in your work, you talk about unlocking collective intelligence. Tell me more about that. What is that that exchange does and helps people? Yeah. Well, as you and I sit here today having this conversation, it's a fascinating time for any conversation. And one reason why is the need, we believe, for leaders and teachers and those who bring communities together to learn, the need for us to find new ways to learn faster, to solve big, complex, systemic challenges is higher than it's ever been. We're seeing a tremendous need to reimagine how we bring groups together. And there's evidence for collective intelligence Sometimes you know it when you see it, even if you're not familiar with all the data behind it. There's teachers and teachings who for many years, even generations, there's ancient wisdom that's been pointing us towards the tools to unlock collective intelligence. And the tools themselves, Deb, are actually in many cases very simple. It doesn't mean they're easy to implement because it often requires us to question some of our beliefs around our role as a leader or a teacher. And at the very center of everything that we do is 
realizing that in moments, you said this earlier, you have a passion for helping teams or groups to na- or people to navigate through times of change. Well, look at this moment right now, right? And what the research tells us, and one of our faculty at Exchange, Dr. Danny Friedland, is that if the world is changing as fast as it is, and arguably faster than we feel equipped to deal with that change, there's consequences. And we need a different set of tools because of the consequences. The biggest consequence is, what is it doing inside of us individually? We become reactive. We don't feel like we have the resources to meet the demands we're facing. And that leads to a whole set of additional consequences. We lose our ability to connect with and work with each other. But on a bigger scale, we are dysfunctional in our groups and organizations. Or worse than that, we're living in a place of shared victimhood where we just don't actually think we can find the resources to make our way out. So the center of our work is understanding that that's what's going on and realizing that for those of us who lead, teach, and convene, we have to have a curiosity that comes from maybe a place of humility to realize that there's some new beliefs to take on, new paradigms and tools so that we can actually learn faster and bring more out of groups. And that's how we got to where we're at. And that's what we're interested in. So fascinating. And I'm like curious here, like I'm waiting for the nugget. And I know (laughs) that obviously you have great pride in the teachings and the methodology, but is there one paradigm that you can maybe share with us that gets people to think differently? Because I'm all about thinking differently. Don't just accept the status quo, question everything, not to be rebellious, but to understand. Is there a particular paradigm that you help people through? Yeah. Well, it starts with maybe inverting or flipping upside down a lot of what we believe about being a leader or a teacher. For example, the idea that a few of us have the answers really doesn't make any sense. Whereas the question of how do we unlock the wisdom from as many people as possible, there's a lot of logic to that. But yet what we have to do is realize as leaders and teachers that It doesn't mean that our knowledge and our experience is no longer important. It actually makes our knowledge and experience even more important. We just have an expanded job, which is to become designers of questions and conversations, because those are the fundamental tools that allow us to bring out potential and everything great at scale. So starts with the questions that we're asking. And this is wisdom that goes back generations. Lao Tzu wrote that all streams flow toward the ocean because the ocean is lower than they are. Humility gives the ocean its power. When we can invite curiosity at scale, Einstein even said, I have no special talents. I'm just passionately curious. When we as leaders can realize if we can design the questions that we can bring to others, amazing things happen. And there's leading research too that says that The teams, the communities, the organizations that will learn faster, that can adapt to change, that can find resilience, there's actually a measurable leading indicator that says those teams that will thrive versus those that will perish, you can tell based on when they come together in groups, what's the mixture, what's the ratio, what's the amount of energy spent in inquiry? In other words, are we curious and are we listening, right, versus in advocacy? Peter Senge writes about this in his work on learning organizations, which he defines as, can we navigate change together? Can we learn together? His work has been so valuable, but it's time has come. And one of the things he talks about is, he talks about mental model. He says it right there, that what it means is, can we live in a spirit of inquiry versus just advocacy? And there's lots of data that says, teams that are curious will thrive, right? So we have to realize that 
Our questions will change the future before the answers arrive. That's how important they are. They're like a lens, right? Before I even open my eyes, whatever questions we ask are going to determine where our thinking goes, where our conversations, our relationships, and our learning, and ultimately what becomes our future. So it starts with valuing the questions and being a question designer and then understanding how important it is to bring people into those conversations, Deb. So I'll stop there. Sorry, I get so into this. No, no this is amazing. And, and it's one of those things. And again, I'm showing you my piece of paper. I am taking down so many notes because we can go in so many directions from here. <laughs> but there are a couple things that were so resonating with the work that I do as well. So I deal with a lot of smart individuals and you bring smart people in the room to solve problems. And so the immediate reaction of people is to give forth their knowledge, give forth their particular viewpoint. And at the end of the day, sometimes when I listen to these groups, it's a lot of chaos. It's a lot of noise. And we're not actually communicating with each other. What I often tell people that are trying to elevate to a leadership position or hone their leadership skills is only speak about 30% of the time and listen 70%. And then when you open up, either reframe and clarify what you heard to demonstrate that listening to the collective or pose well thought out questions to glean more and pull more out of the group. And at the end, <laughs> the leader who may not know all the answers actually gains, like you say, the collective wisdom of everybody's input. You build community in the process and then either with a question or a proposed solution, the leaders elevated, everybody's heard, the community is so much better for it. So I love what you say about being able to ask better questions rather than just spewing information, data, and we definitely don't hear each other and we're probably not being efficient at solving issues. Yeah, you just alluded to several things, Deb, that there's some extraordinary examples and great research behind what we would call what you're talking about is you know, the other side of the same coin that questions sit on is the importance of listening. And so the questions are one part of it. And we can talk about what are the questions that matter, right? And they're actually obvious because a great question, the essence of it is clear right at the outset, right? Questions like, why is it important that we're having this conversation right now? Why does the world need us having this conversation? These connect us to a sense of purpose, either small or large, or what are we learning, right? It's an embarrassingly obvious question, but we had an organization, we led their three-day sales conference virtually a couple weeks ago. And instead of the head of marketing or the CEO or the research team saying, here's what we're seeing in the world, we gave the question to the sales force, dropped them into small groups, and they all shared a story. They had an equal space, like you said, for their voices to come in, which Amy Edmondson's research goes back 21 years, who also, her, the time has come for us to realize that psychological safety is needed now more than ever. And one of the fundamental prerequisites for safety is the equality at which voices are given space to contribute to the conversation. So as you're saying, the questions matter, but the structure of the conversation can actually have as much of an important role as the questions themselves. So this sales group we're leading, we asked all the sales force, what are you seeing in the field? What are you learning? What are you seeing from your customers, from competitors? What are you learning about navigating change? What are you learning about yourselves? And we drop them into small groups and they all share stories and then they actually study their stories and then they present to all the other groups. Here's everything we're learning. I can tell you the richness of crowdsourcing around a question like that. It's not incrementally, it's not marginally greater than if 
one leader tried to say, here's what we're learning. It's exponentially beyond. This is beautiful here because this aligns so much with the work that I'm doing. The book will be out there, (laughs) third quarter, and the title is The CEO's Compass. And we talk about different points to navigate to depending on what's missing. One of the things you talk about is that collective community. I talk about understanding one's past and one's pride, not necessarily their knowledge of their process or their tools or who they are as a person. But when we take the time to get to know the individuals, what is their past and their culture? Because they may be talking about the same thing, but have a different perspective. Or I also talk about their pride. Pride is the intersection of humanity and their intellectual property. What are those gifts, those things that they have done in the past that maybe you don't know about? And by questioning, they can bring that forward and find that their past is relevant to the current situation or the problem that you're trying to solve. So I just love that, asking better questions, getting us to better results. So amazing work that you're doing. But I have a burning question here, (laughs) and I know that we talked about this, is that obviously with the current crisis in the world. And you provide in your video on your website is amazing, this high energy experiential learning when you do bring people together in a room or in breakouts. I mean, people dancing. Oh my, (laughs) it looks like so much fun. (laughs) How do you transform that experience to the virtual landscape to provide your services and experience now? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like trying to tell somebody what an orange tastes like. It's faster if somebody were to just bite it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll do my best. And I'll tell you, we run, at least for now, I don't know how long we'll continue this. We do a, for the public benefit, we run a public workshop that I facilitate once a month. And you can find that through our website, exchangeapproach.com, where I lead a two-hour experience with, I did one yesterday. We had 100 people, 94 people show up from all around the world. Who don't know each other. And they actually observed exactly what you just pointed out. We've been running an experiment for since COVID, our own little internal research study, where we lead about a 12-minute experience with, we've done it now for 5,000 people in the last year, where we give them an interesting question, drop them into a small group interaction. We bring them out of those small groups and we let people share. What did you notice? What emerged? What happened? What did you discover in the small group conversation? And, and over 5,000 people going through this experiment, Deb, universally, when we ask people, what did you notice? The speed at which deep, meaningful human connection is available is amazing. It's so far beyond what most people would think. I I would imagine there's somebody listening to this conversation right now who the last thing they want to think about is being on another Zoom, right? (laughs) Well, Zoom's not the problem. Neither is your corporate culture. It's that whoever might be leading that gathering, they might have all the right intentions, all the right head and heart, the right ideas, the right people in the Zoom, but we just don't have the tools and we don't understand how to facilitate interactions that bring people alive. I'll give you an example. So yesterday, we one interaction we did, right? this is a little creative, and yeah, we do sing and dance and play music, but not every group, that's a good way to start. You gotta meet them where they're at. <laughs> yesterday, 94, 95 people we've never met, in the middle of our workshop, we said, everybody, get up from your desk right now. Get up from your desk, walk around your space, whether you're at home or at work, and we want you to go find a physical symbol, anything physical that serves as a symbol for the story of transformation that you would like to be celebrating for your customers one year from now. 
And so, Deb, as I'm telling you this, again, somebody might piece this together and go, oh, that sounds cool. When you see it happen, it's amazing. And so everyone runs away from their Zoom. They grab a physical artifact. They come back. And then we drop them in small groups. And you have 100 people, basically, telling stories about the future that they want to create using this really cool lateral thinking with some physical artifact that opens up metaphors and images and emotion and all these cool things. And they come out and they tell stories. And that whole experiment is you know, five, six, seven minutes. And that's one of an infinite number of things that you can do to pull the humanity through the screen, to take what feels like a flat experience and move it multidimensional, but most importantly, make it human. People need to connect with each other. They want to speak. They want to be heard. They want to know who else is on that Zoom with them. So I don't even remember what your original question was, but oh, you're asking about the energy. It's available. Here's one last thought on that. The tools are actually pretty simple, and it's the essence of what we do. We teach leaders, teachers, coaches, how do you design and facilitate experiences that bring all these good things out? But there's one other tool that we've not talked about at all today, and it's this. It's that whoever it is that has the privileged opportunity of being the one that is bringing a team together, a community to learn, a group to solve, whatever the reason is, whatever's going on inside of that convener, Whatever's going on in here, I'm pointing to my heart, that's going to have as much of an impact as all the tools in the world. And we do a lot of work with an organization, the HeartMath Institute. They've been studying the science of the heart for decades. They've all come through our trainings. We've studied from them. And what we've learned is that while we can facilitate conversations that unlock wisdom at scale, It's equally important that we as teachers and leaders and conveners do the inner work to get ourselves grounded and present, to be open, to be curious, and to be kind to ourselves and to each other. Those inner qualities, they energetically, they biologically will actually shift others in that even a digital convening. So that's just kind of a surgeon's general's warning that you can design great questions, you can have the right people, but the facilitator has a responsibility to navigate their own inner world because that's going to impact everyone else. I love what you say, John. There is so many lessons in there for the people that are listening. And I know so many of the people that actually listen to my show. I don't have super huge downloads, but I have a loyal audience that gives me feedback about what they hear. And you just gave us some very actionable steps. Again, we talked about before being able to ask more questions and truly listen to bring out the collective wisdom. You've also talked about, and I really love this, pulling the humanity through the screen. What can we do knowing that we're creating like new connections, neurons in the brain, we're doing it virtually. So we're just finding ways. It's the light in the room. It's the sunflowers on your wall in the background there. You're creating points of connection. But how can we make these interactions more human centric? And then the last thing that just resonates so much with the work that I do, I mentor and coach very talented people, people that are superstars, and then the environment changes, they lose their confidence. And we spend a lot of time on the inner work. I almost think the first two of my six course modules are the most important. What are your limiting beliefs? What holds you back? Where's your mindset? Because if we can't figure that out, we can't help you to be the best facilitator, the leader, etc., to be able to do the work. So 
I love that. I <laughs> really, really love that. But I would love to just go in another direction if we could, because you have so Please. much great content, is that you talk about in some of your work about how much of what we believe about managing and leading is damaging. So for me, I'm very interested in knowing maybe what should we stop doing as emerging leaders, business leaders, or CEOs of companies? What should we maybe not be doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, first, get out of the office and go get into the middle of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Second, just stop doing everything we're doing. And I'm kidding, but I'm also not. Here's a couple of reflections. And this is just what works for us. This is what we see. There's not one answer to this beautiful, beautiful question. I'll give you a classic example, though. A year ago, I mean, how many of us remember where we were like the second week of March, right? Like the sky was falling. We were never going to see people again. The COVID was here. And it's a serious thing. And I know I could sound playful about it. And my heart goes out to all of us who are facing every type of adversity because of what's going on. I feel it. I know we're all feeling it in different ways, but in some way. And I remember a year ago when all this happened, you know, in our organization and a lot of our clients and a lot of our community. You know, our clients would call us and we discovered that the question that they were asking inside their organizations was, and there's neuroscience to this, right? When all of the sudden everything is changing faster than we feel like we have the demands, we actually drop into that part of our brain where we're just fighting for survival, for safety, right? And here's the danger in that is that part of our biology actually triggers questions that it triggers certain questions as the first question, which we believe should be the last question. Here's an example. Everybody's asking, okay, the sky's falling. What do we do? That's the temptation. What should we do now? What action should we take? When the reality is, we know we need to do something. And I respect there's firefighting and there is things that have to be done immediately. The problem is when we get unconsciously guided by our questions, How many of us in the last year has work felt like we eventually wake up and we go, wow, work is just this big problem to be solved, (laughs) right? The challenge with starting with what should we do is that there's actually two or three types of questions that we have noticed ought to precede that question. So here's an example. Before we ask what should we do, first, we need to just learn how to pause, right? We need to learn how to pause because if we treat people and organizations and learning communities like machines, then we think, yeah, we need to do more faster, better. We got to solve this problem quickly. But the challenge is we aren't machines. We are living systems. And sorry, this language I know can be weird, but in a living system or a human being, the difference between us and a machine is you push pause on a machine, it stops. You push pause on a human being and all the important stuff starts happening, right? So we have to learn how to pause. And in that pause, I even I slow my breath down as I say it, right? Which, by the way, is you know what I did when I got on the call with you earlier. You asked just being human. Part of being human, people have no tolerance for anything other than authenticity. So, like, I was a couple minutes late with you, but I just I owned it. I forgave myself. You probably saw that. I apologized, and then I quickly got to being in a state of play, and then asking you, how do we make sure this serves you today, right? Well, all of that happened not because I said, "What do I do now that I'm two minutes late." But because I paused, I took a breath, I looked you in the eyes, and then I got back to why are we here? What do we want to create together? Who do I need to be in order to help create that? Which, by the way, in our organizations, it's the same question. So instead of what do we do right now? How about, well, what's the future we want to create? And before we get to that, how about who do we need to be right now for ourselves, for each other, for our customers, for our communities, for our families? 
that's just a great example. You asked, where is some of our thinking maybe unintentionally send us one direction and we ought to think of going another? When we think we need to take action, while it's true, action is necessary, maybe preceding that, hey, what are we learning? Who do we need to be for ourselves and for each other? What do we want to be celebrating in three months or six months? Let's stand in the future, then ask, how do we make that happen? And then ask, what are we going to go do now to deliver on that future? And that is the nugget of this whole conversation. (laughs) And again, I too, when we jumped on here, I just knew we had to chit chat a little bit, transition from where we were at and simply pause, be in the moment and enjoy this wonderful conversation. Because I tell people all the time in my talking points, pause and reflect. And again, it's like slow down to speed up. We need to just get grounded what's happening around me before we just go, go, go. Because the next thing you know, life slips by you and you then realize, what did I actually accomplish? I never accomplished my goals. And that's one of the things people that I coach right now is just that accountability. Just slow down, keep ourselves accountable, pause. Am I on track? Am I off track? What do I need to do in the self and in the human-centric part of you? So beautiful, beautiful work. We could just keep going on and on. I would love to talk about the sunflowers on your wall behind you. That was a beautiful story. You've got beautiful stories to share with everybody. But as we kind of bring this to a close, I would love if there are any additional thoughts about the work that you do, messages for my listeners, or anything else you would like to share. Well, sure. Can I make a request? Absolutely. Um, can we take a photo together? I'm going to take a screenshot. I just want to remember. Absolutely. This I've got new, new jewelry on, new clothes. <laughs> you, you look awesome. And is that your daughter behind you? Absolutely. My daughter, she's an architectural student at UK. That's super cool. Well, offline, maybe I'd love to learn more about her. I heard the episode with your son. You got to be a proud mom. Absolutely. All three of my children are all <laughs> my favorites. <laughs> all right. I'm going to take a screenshot. Ready? Mm-hmm. There you go. I just wanted to capture the moment. If anybody thinks that I'm not crazy and that we're all on the same journey and we've got to figure this out together, we've got a gift that we want to give to your audience. And it's called the Exponential Leadership Playbook. And one of the things that we believe in here at Exchange is that the energy of information is an energy that is, it wants to be free. So we give away as much of our intellectual property as we can figure out how to give away. So this playbook holds within it literally examples. I think there's 15 or 20 different examples of questions to ask. And there's an entire section of the playbook, Deb, for your audience that tells them exactly step by step, literally a script, here's how to design and choreograph conversations that do everything we're talking about today. And if someone wants to go grab that playbook, they can go to exchange, the letter X, the word change, exchangeapproach.com forward slash drop in CEO, special for your group here, exchangeapproach.com forward slash drop in CEO. And of course, if anyone checks out the playbook and they want to learn more about us, it'll tell you how to find us. And and let me know what you think. I love hearing stories from folks who take our work and make a difference. It's fun to hear. So thanks for letting me share that. I love your energy. (laughs) And that's why I love the work that I do with the Drop in CEO podcast. I get to speak to amazing leaders like yourself who give us insights and inspiration so that those who are listening, who are looking for guidance, looking for the support in their career, the Drop in CEO, we're going to continue to bring you great programming. And if you like this episode, please subscribe download, rate and review and share with others so we can continue to bring great guests like John Burkhoff, 
John, it was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Deb. This was a blast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop-In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.